if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today on Horse Chats, we've got Mark Langley back. Now, if you remember Mark, we talked to him sort of earlier on, I think 410, and then he was so popular that we actually had him again in the Listener's Choice cast. So the Listener's Choice, we get the most popular podcast, and obviously everyone liked his chat. Now, Mark's an inspirational horseman who considers how the horse feels when he's working with it. He works with the horse, he guides it, he involves it in the educational process, and he prioritised the horses feeling better about the education we give them. Now, are you there, Mark? How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Glennis. I'm, I'm well. Good. Now, Mark, we're going to have a bit of a chat today. We talked about driving, driving the horse away and directing them. So if we're talking about that today, before we even talk about why, can you tell me the difference between driving the horse and directing the horse? Well, um, I guess the most fundamental difference is where the horse's thoughts are, as in where their you know, primary focus is. So a lot of times if, we, if we're not aware of when we're driving and we push energy into a horse, whether it be energy from our body language uh, or a, you know, a flag or whatever, or a stick, the horse will be looking at the thing that it's moving away from as it's moving away, almost like if you're walking down a dark alleyway in the city and there's sort of footsteps behind you and your, your primary focus is behind you, you know, and not, not in the direction that you're going. Uh, so I guess the, the biggest thing is a, you want a horse to be thinking about what it's doing. So if you said, you know, if you were standing in front of a horse, for instance, and pointed your hand out in a certain direction and pointed that lead rope out there, you, you want the horse to be thinking and travelling towards its thoughts in that direction, not away from sort of a pressure that's sort of coming, coming in from the side. So that, I guess that's the fundamental thing about directing. And the other thing about it is the horse is constantly having true transitions, which is, it's, you know, it's thinking backwards, it's thinking forwards. So another, another example might be when you're backing up a horse, for instance, in the reins, the horse is kind of leaning on the reins, thinking forwards, but it's trudging its feet backwards. That would be, you know, driving a horse back in the reins, but the horse is not actually carrying the movement itself. So the horse's mind is on the pressure and just shifting off the pressure, not engaging in the movement or the direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, I think the way you've explained it is quite good. And you're talking about reducing anxiety. So we're doing the directing instead of the driving to reduce anxiety. Just tell us a little bit about the anxiety that you feel is created if we're driving the horse. Well, one of the main anxieties I see in, like, you know, when I'm doing a lot of workshops and clinics, I see a lot of horses come in and there's something that they get, like, you know, that I would call it hyper-focus. Mm -hmm. So say, for instance, if a horse was, was worried about some of the, the driving aids, they hyper-focus on where the danger is. So instead of, you know, doing something uh, as in going around and thinking forward softly, they're kind of focused to where the, the danger might come from uh, and they won't let go of that hard thought. And because they won't let go of that thought, they carry the anxiety the whole way around. And because their focus is, is on a driving aid, they don't let go of the worry about it if they were worried about it. Uh, the other example would be is sometimes it, it looks to me like a horse is watching a horror movie. And if you've ever watched a horror movie, you, 
you sort of want to put your eyes, your hands over your face and not watch it, but you're sort of fixated watching it, but you don't like it. You're really anxious when you're watching those parts of horror movies that, that, <laughs> that, that are quite traumatic. And what horses do is they can't, they can't actually look away from the screen. And, and because they can't look away and think away and, and do something different, then they can't let out that tension, which means they just hold on to that, that brace and, and that anxiety, you know. But if they could just look away and, and just look towards another horse for a moment even or just then they just have a have a little mental break and they'd have a bit of a lick and two or something like that because they've let go of some of that tension. <laughs> it's just, just, yeah, the horse is holding on to a worry for too long and, and uh, by being able to sort of get them to uh, go between one thought and another one, then they're constantly sort of managing their anxiety levels as in, as in the valve of anxiety going in. So, like, imagine that there was a valve in and there was a valve out Um the valve out is the same size as the valve in. So as anxiety goes in, because the horse can think through things and not hold on to things that it's worried about, um, it basically tips its own anxiety out during education instead of hanging on to it. Okay. Okay. Mark, just to make this clear, we're talking, this, you know, you, I mean, you've talked about different things and I'm thinking I'm imagining a ridden horse, but is it the same groundwork and ridden, you know, about, directing rather than driving? Yeah, well, you know, in, when, when people first take on the idea of directing a horse, I think it's easy to sort of relate it on the ground because okay. on the ground it's so easy to step in and push our energy into a horse and say, go away. Mm-hmm. But on the saddle, we're obviously connected to our horses, but, but it, it, you, can, you can drive a horse under saddle just as much as you can drive it on the ground. And, and one of the, the best sayings that I heard years ago was, we don't bring our boundaries to our horses, we set boundaries. And later on, that really made directing versus driving make so much sense. So uh, an example might be is if I was walking along and I walked around the corner, there was a wall in front of me, I'd choose left or right. Mm-hmm. But if the wall came out and started to push on me, I'd just move away from the wall. And that's how we use our reins under saddle and how we use our legs can determine if we're setting boundaries or we're chasing our horse with our aids. So, so an example might be is, um, you know, you're turning a corner and you're picking up a left rein. Uh, if you just keep pulling on that left rein and that horse is just kind of laying into the rein a little bit and looking to the outside and just moving its feet left, well, that was the rein just driving the horse around the corner and the horse never really thought into the turn or anything like that. It was just thinking about the outside of the bit and how it was just kind of moving away from the pressure. Yep. So that will be using a rein to drive a horse opposed to direct it. But if you picked up the feel of the left rein and the horse's thoughts went to the left for a little bit and then it chose suddenly to let go of that thought and go right, well, you firm up the rein a little and say, well, that's not available. And the horse goes, oh, that's not available. I might try left again. So, so that, that will be using the rein to direct the horse and, and, and get it to think in the direction of the rein opposed to just kind of, you know, just... just the horse thinking about moving away from the presser because you've just pulled the horse around the corner. And I guess the same would be in the legs. You know, if I, if I, like when you, we say some people have horses that sort of, that they may not maintain a walk or, or a trot. So because they anticipate that horse slowing down, they're very quick to sort of say push, push, push and push with the legs. And then, then what you see is the horse kind of thinking back on the legs the whole time. And as soon as the person has a rest, the horse just falls apart and stops. Mm. But if they were so say trotting along and and the horse chose to walk we allow the horse to walk and then you come in with your legs and say now can you go back to trot and then the horse thinks oh okay when i when i fall back there there's a boundary back there i might stay trotting and and because the person's not you know 
pushing and hunting from behind all the time, the horse will start to engage with the trot, think forward and just carry a nice soft trot. But you, you have to have allowed that horse to slow down so there's room to speed up. And I think that's where we can start to drive our horses because we're actually saying keep going instead of go faster. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Mark, just something that you said earlier, you know, that you're finding a better result initially on the ground rather than being ridden. Do you find that on the ground is a really good way to get people connecting with their horse? Because if they haven't got a secure seat or if they've had a bad fall or if there's lots of other reasons why they prefer not to ride or it's easier for them to not ride, they still want to have that connection with their horse. But for some reason, they fear the riding or they're just not as confident as what they could be. Do you find that gets better results then with the groundwork? Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, the biggest thing is when we're standing on the ground, some, it's actually, mind you, I've met other people to the opposite that can sit on a horse and be more confident than when they're on the ground with them. And, but the majority are more so. They're more, people are more confident on the ground than they are under saddle because they're on the ground and they, you know, they can move out of the way of their horse. They're not committed to the horse in that sort of vulnerable position if the horse really, really sort of, you know, went a bit ballistic. But so, yeah, on the ground, I guess, is the best place to start because one thing is, like, I, I might say to somebody, I'd say, like, what percentage are you operating in confidence right now on the ground? And they say, oh, I'd say I'm about 80% confidence. And I said, so when you sit on the horse, what confidence are you operating at? And they go, oh, yeah, I'm about 40. And I said, well, that shows you how much training you might need to do on the on 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 the ground with your horse because um you want to know that at 40% confidence your horse will listen nice and softly to you so uh cuz cuz you're going to be operating probably with a less clarity than on the ground now so, so some people get probably too strong on the ground cuz they're confident they actually try and act confident which is, is a bit of a mistake Really, you just got to be clear on the ground, and 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 because you're operating at eighty percent, you'll you'll make clearer decisions, and you'll be able to observe your horse more and see where the braces are, see where its thoughts are going, and then you can understand a lot more. And then once you get up there, then then the, the horse is understanding things, and they're a bit softer, and because they're feeling softer, they're not in, instead of having forty percent, you might sit up and go, actually, well, I'm feeling about sixty percent, so so that's that's better. <laughs> so the the body control, the body language that we're using on the ground, tell us how that's different to the body language we'd be using while we're riding. So the body control is in the body control of the horse or our body language in oh, a sense. Um, okay, yeah. Well, I'm thinking our body, like what different aids, what body language are we using that's different? Okay, but talk yeah. about body control of the horse if you prefer. You know, we can get, get started with that and then move on to the other. About both, I suppose, because both are going to be sort of, you know, our body control and body language, um, and then and then I guess the, the body control of the horse. But so first of all, if it was if it's our body language, um, the the interesting thing about our body language when you're directing horses is you're a lot calmer around your horses when you ask for things. And, and as I was listening to a dressage fellow one day in in a, just a bit of a podcast. I think I only listened to ten minutes of it or so, but uh, but but he said something which is so relevant and it was your horse must have more impulsion than you mm-hmm. and that's what I noticed with groundwork and our body language is once you start directing horses because the horse is doing something for themselves they're not relying on you carrying them with energy so the body language is a lot more um, as in you ask a question and you follow your horse instead of step in and energize and drive your horse 
So because you're following your horse, you're always behind your horse's energy a little bit. So the horses start to carry a real natural energy. So as opposed to the other way, where you, where you sort of pick up your energy to get your horse to move, this way is you get your horse to think and move first and then you follow their energy. And it really produces a lot of good self-carriage in horses. It's tougher. It's harder for people to apply. But it's like for really like sat down horses or really cold-blooded horses, it works really well because you're getting the horse to do something for itself. And then once they actually get good at it, then all of a sudden, I don't know if you've heard this saying, but it's an old saying back that goes back in horsemanship, I follow you, you follow me, and then we go together. Yep. That particular saying goes so hand in hand with directing because you get the horse to do think something, then it does something because it's thinking about it. You follow them as they do it, as in, you know, when riding, you'd be just following them with your feet instead of sort of chasing them with your feet. And the groundwork, you, you might you say, say if you step them out to think out around you a little bit, you might follow that idea and uh, move with them a little bit. But then what happens, you know, is after getting the horse to do something and you follow that movement, then all of a sudden they actually tune into you. And then soon enough, you're kind of going together where they're listening to you and you're with them and it's kind of like in harmony. It's kind of a bit hard to explain, but... Um, it really gets the, the horses that have started to shut down to open up again because they're constantly engaging and doing something for themselves opposed to just, you know, focused on the presence. But, but what I've found with our body language, it makes us a lot calmer at asking a horse to do something uh, instead of sort of getting big to motivate them. Yep, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I, I wish I had a really good way of explaining it to paint a clearer picture, but... Uh, I guess an example might be, it's like when you ask a horse up with your with your heels, and then you instead of your seat first, you get your horse to move forward, and then you follow it with your seat instead of moving your seat first, and then you know trying to get the horse to catch up to your seat with your legs. Um, it, it it makes your balance with your horse a lot better. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book. 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Mark, I'm sure you've been to, you know, you've done lots and lots of workshops and there'd be quite a number of horses that have been through lots of different types of trauma, horses that are traumatised. How does this affect them, this idea of of direction rather than driving? Does it take longer? Does it work as well? Just give us a little bit, even a case stories or something, just to let us know how horses that have had some sort of traumatic experience go. Yeah, so the most trauma, like the, you know, the, the, the most common thing that, you know, horses holding holding on to trauma is, uh, you know, so, so a common type of horse that you sort of see at a clinic would be the horses that shut out. Now, 
you could categorise that into shutting down. The ones that shut down and the ones that kind of look like they're not perching and they don't move forward very well, they're just very insular. Then you've got the ones that shut out that, that I would call them ghosters and gazers. So the ghosters are the ones that just have this sort of blank eye and they might just gaze off into the distance and not engage with anybody all, at all. Yep. And, and they just sometimes look like they look off into the distance and, and they're the ones that sometimes when you ask them to go forward, they, they rush really fast because they're always in the future, you know, they're looking off somewhere into the distance and that distance is probably, in their mind, the last place of safety. And then you've got the ones that are, that are hyper-focused on, on pressure that, that are kind of just holding a brace all the time because they're hyper-focused on what we're doing and where we are and where our flag's going to be or what where, what's going to be because they're worried about what we're going to do with it. So the, the best response I've had with horses that are sort of hyper-focused or ghosters, gazers, is showing them that they have an alternative. So I might just do something, and it might be something close to their eye or something, that I get them to sort of just look away for a moment. And you, you might have to pester them a little bit, and, and they just, and then all of a sudden they'll look away, and then they'll come back, and you'll see this little release of tension through their body where they just kind of relax, and they go, oh, I didn't know I could have a different thought. I just was fixating, like, as I, like, like I said before, like on a horror movie. So getting them to search just with their mind, they don't have to have to do it with their feet, just to look away at another horse. or, or it, it actually gives them the right to search back again. And, and as soon as you give them that right, you'll see they'll start to search again and again. And all of a sudden, you'll see the mind start to transition, going, and then, then someone will move over at the left and, they, and they'll notice it. And then all of a sudden... They're, they're, you've just suddenly freed up their thoughts because you're just getting them to think away, think back, simple little things like that. But you've got to break through the ice on some horses. So you've got to do do it in a certain way that they can notice something. And then, then you just kind of, you know, you tap away till they sort of finally go, oh, 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 I can look away and I can break that thought. So you're just kind of breaking the fixations and then giving the horse an opportunity to do something different. And it's so good because it basically teaches horses that they can suddenly be horses again and move away from something if they want to, go towards something if they want to, and it gives them their rights back. And once they have their rights back, then you can start to set up education. So, uh, you know, I like to say sometimes we're just rearranging the furniture and the horse is figuring out the way around. Um, then we set up education to get them to choose to do things a little differently or better, but you've got to give them the, the right of choice back. And, and, and that's why I think directing them really opens up a lot of horses because you give them choice back again. Yeah. How about horses, you know, we've got brumbies or horses that have never had any handling or any any interaction with man or, or very little. How do we get them started the right way so we're thinking directing rather than driving? Well, one of the biggest, well, not the biggest, the, the, like the, 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 I guess the next next biggest, you know, I guess people come with horses, clean with red flags, is the young horses that have been started, that started with a lot of, you know, especially driving pressure on the ground, you know, round penning where the people are driving them around and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and they, they come to the clinics and the horses are only, you know, had maybe six weeks' work and they're already fried. Um, so, so how does it help brumbies and stuff like that? As one is with wild horses is um, if we can work a horse in a way that's not saying go away, then it's, it's going to be productive because, you know, because what does a wild horse want to do? It wants to escape from danger unless it's backed in a corner. So if we sort of drive horses, then we're actually presenting danger and then the horse escapes and gets rewarded for it. So 
so to me, driving pressure doesn't make sense because you're only teaching a wild horse what it already knows. So it keeps it keeps that horse like thinking that we're danger because the horse has escaped from our energy. And even if it was a sort of half passive young horse, I think the problem is is um, what happens is that we make them feel like we're pushing them down the pecking order. So so you know horses don't like being at the bottom of the pecking order and being pushed away from the herd. So so motivating them by pushing them away from pressure to me is is not productive for wild horses, nor is it productive for sort of the, you know, the, the half-handled young horses. So directing them is better because the horse makes choices and connection is a choice of theirs, so they connect with us. And then when we ask them to do things, they're actually doing it for themselves, so they're exploring. You know, they're, they're, they're exploring. They're not looking back and, and moving away from danger. They're, you know, so, so if you've got a young wild horse, you you get it to look across and then it moves across. You know, if you keep a horse's thoughts somewhere long enough, that's where its feet are going to go. Okay. But, but yeah, I'd use a lot of leading techniques. So, you know, it makes people get better at leading because, you know, you've got to hang on to that lead rope till the horse softens and starts to, you know, feel better in it. Yep, yep. Now, what about, you know, I'm thinking a horse at liberty or if it's not at liberty. Is this going to work if we're training liberty horses? Yeah, yeah. I sometimes help liberty horses feel better because there's some liberty horses that are highly trained but they're, 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 they've been trained to focus on the person and the stick all the time or the, if the person didn't use sticks or the person's energy all the time and some of them have been so disempowered that they can't even you know you wouldn't you, they're riding horses as well but they they, they, they they won't look down the road because they're they don't think they're allowed to um because they, they, they think they've got to focus on the person where their energy is all the time so i guess with liberty the biggest thing with Liberty is, you, 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 you know, the difference, I'd say, is if someone was going to do Liberty by directing a horse opposed to driving is they have to have not the horse, the horse that, you know, the, I probably don't use the word focus as much as I used to, but I like to use the word awareness. So a good Liberty horse is, uh, I guess, supposed to be aware of us, not focused on us. And I think that's where we can go wrong is sometimes we think a Liberty horse has got to be focused on us to listen to us and, you know, all our little sort of body languages and stuff like that. But horses are very good at being aware of what we're doing and really the little subtle things they'll see even when they're thinking about or doing something else. So so I guess, you know, uh, you know, instead of a horse moving away from your energy, focused on your energy, when you move it away, you get it to look away first and the horse goes towards its thoughts and then when you want it to come back, you might draw a little and the horse will flick its ear back and go, oh, yeah, I'll come back. But the horse did a transition instead of no transition. So so what I mean is it, it looked away and then it looked back again, which is two transitions, whereas the horse that just goes away looking at the person and then drawing back doesn't do any transition. It just moves its feet away and moves its feet back. So it, it makes the horses more in balance as well because all the movements they do are all in balance because the horse is thinking the movement, not focused back where the, where the person is. Yep, yep, yep. And what about float loading? Tell us a little bit about the way that, that you feel is going to be the best for the horse to load them into a float. Well, with float loading, if you say, for instance, you can, you know, you'll see people, you know, whether you put a butt rope on a horse or put a flag at their hip or something like that or a stick, and sometimes people can get a little caught up in putting a lot of pressure at their rump area to get the horse to step into a horse float. But if you think about it, the horse's uh, thoughts are going to be on that pressure, not in the float. Yep. Um, so basically, when you're float loading, 
you want your horse's thoughts to be able to let go of anything behind them and start to focus on the horse float so they can engage with it and start to think about it and uh, work out if it's, if it's, you know, work out themselves if it's safe to go on. So in relation to floating, I suppose there's two things you've got to look at. You've got to look at uh, obedience um, so, uh, and also confidence. So, so the, in the obedience side of it is the horse. So, so, you know, a really good saying that, that I think is really important when we go to thinking about loading horses is the best way to teach a horse to load is teach it to unload first. So that, that basically sorts, sorts out the obedience side of it, which is a horse should never know and be able to pull back. So that's, that means we go away and we teach the horse to lead so well that a pullback is pretty well unavailable. And the horse is super soft at leading, and then if we then we then we can always teach them to uh, lead up and unload softly before you even get them in the horse load. So basically, um, then the other part of it is confidence, and and so so the next part is confidence, and we, so we so we can get a horse to, you know, because leading means think forward, hold pressure. Well, we can get a horse to think forward onto the horse load, and then start to engage with it, and that's where they're going to start building their confidence with the horse load by engaging with the horse float, sniffing it, things like that, stamping on it a bit and just testing it out. But then if we go, if we push them backwards and say forwards again, we should have no question in our mind that that horse maybe or may not come forward. We know the horse and the horse knows it's going to come forward because we spent our time teaching it to lead. Yes, okay. So, yeah, in, in that regard, when we draw the rope forward, the horse thinks forward. So we wait a little and let it, let it think on the horse float opposed to sort of, you know, having pressure behind it and saying, you know, move off this pressure to jump in the horse float. Mm. Yeah, I, I think talking to you, Mark, it's been really good because I'm sort of throwing these questions. I mean, we're talking about directing versus driving and you've explained it all and talked about, you know, why we want to reduce that anxiety. And we've talked about still the same concept, right? Groundwork, ridden, we talked about, you know, body language, horses with trauma, educating brumbies and still liberty horses, float loading, but your message is still coming back, you know, let's do directing rather than driving to reduce the anxiety. So I think that's just been a really good message that you've given us today. Yeah. The more I've understood about it, it's certainly helped me maybe to be able to help more people and, and horses and seeing the difference and changing that in horses has been, been wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mark, have you got some homework for our listeners? You know, just someone who's maybe you know, even listen to you before or not listen to you before. Just, you know, they'll go down this afternoon, they'll um, want to spend some time with their horse. What's a good test for them to see if they have been directing rather than driving? Well, a good test is just look at where the horse is thinking and when you go down and ask your horse a question, is it involved in or is it engaging in different things? So, you know, next time someone, say, for instance, someone lunges their horse, uh, if they went down the paddock and just asked their horse to walk a simple circle around them, where does that horse's, horse's thoughts go at every moment? Does the horse think towards us uh, when it moves away and then thinks away when it's actually gone away? Um, if you see that in your horse, you know the horse is actually feeling like it's being driven. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a simple thing to go and try with your horse. If your horse actually looks away when you ask it away, and then it starts to look back into the circle, for instance, when it's gone out on the circle, that, that means the horse is going towards its thoughts and then realigning its thoughts when it's back on the circle to go towards its thoughts still. Okay, okay. You know, little things like that. The other thing is um, when, you, when you ride your horse, if you put your legs on it just to go forward, how long does your horse think backwards for? 
before it sinks forwards? Does it every time you touch it or do something, is it fixated on your pressure? And how long does it stay fixated on that pressure? So if the horse won't, you know, is hyper-focused on you, little things, but just go and have a look at little things like that as how easily the horse's thoughts, you know, go between one thought and the other softly. I'm not talking about the ones that are kind of constantly bouncing around like, like um, you know, helium balloons on windy days, but um, I'm talking more about the horses that are, that are trying to got soft thought change. Yep. Yeah, really good message, Mark. I think, um, you know, I think right through it's been a great message. And, you know, I think for someone who's always thinking about the horse, you know, you're on the horse's side, you're thinking about the horse, um, and you're always thinking about how the horse feels when you're working with it. And it's sort of a good message to our listeners to be thinking about how the horses feel, not just go out and, and work your horse, but how's the horse actually feeling when you're working with it? So great message so thank you for coming and and mark it's been a bit of a gap since she came on last time so hopefully we'll have you on again a little bit sooner yeah no worries happy, happy to sort of help out where i can and i hope it's helped some people out there and horses and uh, thanks so much and also thanks for, 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 for making it available for us to be able to you know talk talk to different people and give them give them some help uh, yeah. on a, on a you know, different platform no worries at all okay thanks mark If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 